Welcome back to another episode of the Dunk with Dom podcast. Now, usually we do our normal intro, but we are taping this almost a day after the passing of Bill Russell, passed away 88 years old, basketball legend, even better teammate, and even better of a person. Micah, you're here to kind of break down this latest development, of course, kind of like reflecting on Bill Russell's career. This is a loss not just for the NBA for the basketball community, for the people who loved him, but just for the American sports and general American community itself? So to the average fan, Bill Russell is known not only as the greatest winner in basketball history, but also probably the winningest player in American team sports history. But I want to backtrack a little bit and just talk about who he is as a person and some of the other things that he and his family both had to go through. Before Russell even took the time to play in the NBA, he was a proud member of of the San Francisco Dons and helped lead the team to two NBA or to two national championships, as well as he went on to win 13 out of 16, including his three years in college. But Bill Russell was also somebody who was front and center at Martin Luther King's Junior's I Have a Dream iconic speech. He was also somebody who was mistaken for Morgan Freeman at Barack Obama's second inauguration. This is somebody who has stood for the good in all the people, as well as the fact that he is one of the trailblazers when it comes to a black-led person, not only in a basketball team, but also in all of American history. He is the first black head coach to not only have suited up as well as won an NBA championship. He did so while he was also playing for the Boston Celtics. That to this day is still the only player to have been a champion, both as a head coach and as a player at the same time. He is one of four players in league history to have won both a NCAA championship and an NBA championship, both as the tournament MVP and finals MVP. He is also somebody who we know what he did for the Boston Celtics, but we can talk about not only his offensive impact, but his defensive impact. When you talk about arguably the greatest defender ever, you're probably over jumping. You're probably thinking about Hakeem Olajuwon first off when you think about the greatest defender ever. But if we go back to a time before blocks were even recorded, Bill Russell stands alone among the rest. He was the first player in NBA history to have actually been the reason why the league keeps track of contested shots because there's countless footage from the time in the 19, late 1950s and 60s in which he was guarding essentially two or three different players at the same time making it much easier for the rest of the Boston Celtics roster to be able to press up on their man when they're playing in that scheme and not really fear that if their guy blows by them off the dribble, that they're going to get totally burned at the rim because Bill Russell was not only a rim protector, he was a paint protector and the best ever at it. There's a lot of firsts with Bill Russell. I think the best way to quantify this is there's Bill Russell, the human, and there's Bill Russell, the basketball star, And honestly, if you have to decide what was more valuable and what was more impressive, it's honestly hard to decide between the two. And I think 
as both of us are, we're diehard NBA historians. One of our best things ever is to look back at the all-time greats, the all-time teams, the all-time classics. I think especially Bill Russell's death, to put it short, comes at an interesting time, I would say, in NBA history when the NBA is becoming so different. It's be completely different, let's say, than when Bill Russell's career began in the mid to late 50s. With the conversations now of like, how do you compare different eras and how do you compare putting Wilt Chamberlain or Elgin Baylor or Russell into the modern NBA and vice versa. And even with, not to tie it into recent events, but like the J.J. Reddick comments and Jerry West going back and forth of how do we properly evaluate and how do we properly grade these all-time greats from the 70s and before that. And I think the most challenging thing and the most uh, aspiring thing about Bill Russell's career from a basketball perspective we can't quantify what Bill Russell did in today's era, which makes it so fascinating. We will never see a player, basically for his entire career, lead teams to 11 titles in 13 years. We will never see anybody ever again be the all-time winner he was. Like, like if I had to ask you, like, what was your favorite st- statistic of Bill Russell's career, you can do the individual numbers, you can do the titles, the longevity, considering that back in the 60s there was no advanced medical science no it was all charter planes like you know what i mean it was a very low-key league i would still say the most accomplished achievement of bill russell's career was 10 and 0 in game sevens 21 and 0 in deciding games both in college and, and the nba and you factor that in with the statistical accomplishments the number of rings and that stat we can't even fathom and begin to imagine because we never grew up with Bill Russell and neither did a lot of people. We can't imagine what that's like. And that, that's the most fascinating thing about Bill Russell's career is like it was literally a one of one because it was a unique time to be an NBA player. But also we just will never see that production and that success ever again in the recent, in recent NBA history and in the future of NBA history at large. Yes. So a couple more things with Bill Russell's career. He is the first player ever to have averaged 20 rebounds for an entire season. He's also the first player to have averaged more than 40 rebounds for an entire two playoff series back to back. He's also the first player to have had a 40 rebound game in an NBA finals. And like you mentioned, the deciding game numbers he is 18 points and 29 boards for 11 deciding games in an NBA career, as well as the 10 that he has from his time in college. That's the impeccable record that I'm not sure anyone will ever come close to. When we talk about the greatest Game 7 players of all time, Jordan is a little further down the list, and to his credit, he never faced one in the NBA Finals, but obviously there's Anthony Mason in the Knicks and Miller's Pacers, the Pistons a couple times. But there's the first guy that you think of is LeBron, who is 5-2, and two, averaging 35-10-7 and seven in Game 7s for his career. There's Hakeem, who averages 29, 11, and 5 for his career. The sample size is not quite as much with Hakeem and Bird, who are the next two guys people normally think of. But the amount of different times that Bill Russell's team was taken to the brink of elimination, which, by the way, before those Game 7s, about half of them, his team was facing a 3-2 deficit, and... His Game 6 performances were some of the most overlooked in NBA history. Some of the things that people talk about when it comes to his overall impact on a basketball game is what was the team like when they were in the huddle? 
what was the team like before and after games, there would be times when Bill Russell would come into games hours before everybody else just so that he would be able to have everybody else's places in the locker room that the way that they would like them to, knowing that he has to be the best leader as well as the best player on the floor. One of the most encapsulating stories that I think talks about not only Bill Russell as the person, but also Bill Russell as the competitor. There was numerous times throughout the 60s when Wilt, whether or not he was playing on the Philadelphia teams of the 60s or San Francisco, or he was even playing with the Lakers towards the very end of his career, when his team would come to visit Boston for a game. He would always go over to Bill Russell's house the night before a game. Bill and his wife would cook a great dinner for the three of them. They would talk about it. And then right before they left, Bill would be the one who was essentially sitting pretty and was the one who had just eaten a great meal, but was also standing up while Wilt Chamberlain was the one who has obviously has a record of alcohol excessively and would be the one who would get blacked out drunk the night before a big game. And the one thing that Bill Russell's wife always told him was, this is the guy who you're going to see on the court the following night. This is one of the things that we have to do as competitors, which is the moment that you start preparing for a game is always the night before, whether it be hydrating, getting the right meal, carbo loading, whatever it is. There's always the game within the game, and Bill was great at setting himself as well as his teammates up for success. My favorite Bill Russell story has got to be 1969 NBA Finals, Game 7 in the Forum in L.A., and you have to keep in mind that this Celtics dynasty is radically different in 1969 than it was in the early 60s because Red Auerbach was now the official GM. He was no longer the coach. You have Russell coming in as the first player coach and the first black coach in NBA history and in league and just general major sports history. The Boston team falls as, I believe, a fourth or fifth seed, but they were a bottom-tier seed in the Eastern Conference this year. Everyone had ridden them off. And when it was 3-3 back into the forum – uh, the arena in Los Angeles was set up with all these balloons at the top of the arena before Game 7. So in, in anticipation of the Lakers winning, they would drop down those balloons. And Bill Russell famously proclaimed, well, they better hope those damn balloons aren't coming down anytime soon. And Boston pulled through with the win in Game 7 for that final title. And to encapsulate Bill Russell's unselfishness, his incredible success in being an awesome teammate when they had the uh, ceremony after in 1969 for the finals, he was being interviewed in that famous uh, kind of like uh, news report right after they had just won the title and Bill Russell had no words. Like you were trying, w- it was kind of like Jordan in 96 went after he won the finals on Father's Day and got that fourth title where he just collapsed on the floor crying with the basketball in his hand and kind of an incredible ball. It was that sort of moment where even Russell himself couldn't understand what was happening and couldn't understand the magnitude that even though it wasn't the most statistically accomplished team and even though it wasn't the prettiest way to win a title, that 69 title meant more to him than any of the other titles before because it was a last hurrah for Sam Jones, for Russell, are back in this new position. It was a changing of the guard for the Celtics dynasty. And 
I mean, I don't even know, know where to go from here because there's, there's so much to talk about with Russell, and I think we should begin where it's a little bit of a big-picture take, but I think what makes Russell's death so unique in this time period and looking at the NBA and looking at NBA history is that we are seeing all these legends just walk away from the face of earth into a greater pasture in recent years. Hondo, John Havlicek passed away in uh, the spring of 2018 or 2019. Elgin Baylor recently passed away. Uh, Bob Cousy, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, Bill Russell just passed away now. Will Chamberlain passed away in the 90s. We are losing a lot of these great players from that early era of the NBA. And I think it ties back into our modern conversation of the, the studying the game of basketball is so different when you, A, don't watch those guys live, and B, when those guys are no longer on this earth. And I think an interesting narrative going forward that we all need to be considering because as somebody who's a fan of that early game, the careers of Elgin, John Havlicek, even I would argue Wilt, are all criminally underrated because of how unquantifiable they are. I have a feeling, and it's an unfortunate feeling that I think it's the job of NBA historians to uh, pick up the slack, need to do a better job of captivating how awesome Bill Russell was as a teammate, how he was with his NBA career, and how he was as a person. And I think that's just... It's an interesting time with Russell's passing, how we're in this era of we're forgetting the greats and how we got here, and we've been more focused on overvaluing the modern guys. And it's not to do this old versus new thing, but I generally think as, again, somebody, we both love NBA history. It is an interesting time for Russell's passing. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I don't think people give Russell enough credit for is he was always considered an undersized center, yet he was always the greatest defender on earth. If you had taken his game and teleported it into the modern game, I think in terms of a defender, you're talking about the absolute best characteristics of three of the game's greatest defenders right now, which is Gobert, Robert Williams, and Bam Adebayo. When you talk about versatility to be able to switch a lot of high pick and roll sets, as well as the ability to essentially teleport yourself from a ball handler to a weak side cutter, all the way back to the corner three-point closeout. There are numerous times in which you could look at NBA history and say, I'm not sure the league has a true number one defender. If you were to take Bill Russell's game and put it in today's game, you are talking about a guy who deters the most shots, gets the most deflections in the paint, and is also a guy that is arguably the greatest rebounder of all time. Now, you can talk about whether or not it's Rodman, Wilt Chamberlain, or Moses Malone, potentially. But he was the one who first set the standard as the ability to not only get your hands in the ball and deter a shot or block the shot, but block the shot to an outlet pass. And that way you can instantly set up your own team for offensive success. We saw a lot of that when it comes to Hakeem Olajuwon, as Clyde Drexler famously said. Keem, don't just block the ball. Block the ball and send it to me so then we can get right into our fast break offense. Bill Russell was the first to ever do that. And I'm sure that I have never seen a defender quite on that level in all of my years of watching the NBA. That's an interesting point because I think, one of the, real quick, one of the challenges with Bill Russell is like, how does this game translate in today's NBA? And I think the common myth is, because I, I want to do some myth busting to kind of put more respect on Russell's career, a big common myth is, oh, he thrived in the perfect era for him where not enough black centers, wasn't really an integrated league as of yet. We're, we're talking the 60s here. Like it, was, it was a different time to say the least. How does he do with like not having a jump shot or even like any sort of post game? And all of this is complete horse crap, like part of me, but... 
Bill Russell's defense, and more importantly, he was the first player in NBA history where you built an offense around Russell. Like, if you watch those old tapes, Russell is either screening off the ball, is the first guy with the ball in his hands to make a play on an off-ball cut. Like, the, the offense and the defense revolved around Russell, and people always say, like, oh, like, technically Kareem or Bill Walton may have been the first guy you can build your entire team around in the sense of, like, you build your system and kind of surround him with fit. But Bill Russell was the first, and I think... We always give credit to guys like Kobe, Tim Duncan, LeBron for thriving equally statistically and in winning in different eras of their career, but also in different team functions. Like we saw LeBron, for instance, like be the superhuman athlete in Cleveland and Miami, established a way better post game and more of a slowed down game with the Cavs, especially in that second tenure, and then transition more into a playmaker with the Lakers. Russell was kind of the same, though, because he starts off as this defensive-minded, shot-blocking, build-your-system-around-this-fast-break-running-gun offense with Bob Cousy, Sam Jones. Once Hondo comes in and once uh, Cousy retires, Russell becomes almost the focal point on the offensive end because he did command that attention because of his athleticism, success in offensive rebounding. And even in this latter stage of his career when he became the player coach, he was all IQ. Like The best way I can describe him is he would be – you take Rudy Gobert's shot-blocking ability, you combine that with the IQ of Tim Duncan and the Bill Walton-Hakeem-like ability to uh, not only be a hub on offense but also be commanding enough to demand double teams and make the quick read. You can make the case that Russell, from a assist and also passing perspective, is probably no lower than third or fourth on the all-time list behind. You'd put Walton there, probably put Jokic there. After that, there's a good case to have Russell there And I think the challenge is that, A, it was way harder back in the day to get assists. Like, the metric and criteria for assists was different in the 60s than the 80s, the 90s, and today's era. And, again, we're just doing this from a – it's just basic time. We're more in touch with what's going on in today's NBA, which is why a lot of the highlights are from the 90s onward or even the 80s onward. But everything from, like, 1980 beforehand is just totally forgotten about. That also applies to Russell, too. So let me ask you this. As the NBA continues to age, and a lot of these players who just take this 20 years from now, are people going to think about the pre 1980s era? Call it everything before Moses and Dr. J, before we even get to Magic and Larry. Everything from that time, including Kareem's absolute peak, will that be thought of as instantly downgraded from where we honestly think that it should be now? Because by the time 20 years from now rolls around, there aren't going to be people really who saw those guys play that are either still healthy, functioning human beings, or if they're even on the walk, still walking the face of the planet Earth, are people going to start to believe that that time was prehistoric? Or do you think that as the game continues to age, because I'm somebody who is a devout believer in human evolution. I think that there's really hard, it's really tough to say that there was actually a best player ever. There was just a best player who happened to play in a more advanced era each time. So I think the players 20 years from now will actually be better than the players of today. Same thing as I thought in the 90s, early 2000s, etc. What do you think people will think about the 60s and 70s or even I think that Mike and Pettit's era is already essentially considered prehistoric. My my philosophy, so to break this down into three parts, 
my personal philosophy has always been I think they're all there you can actually rank these players because I think if you took the time to understand the era uh, the era specific strengths and weaknesses the evolution of basketball as a whole you can make a case for certain guys like the perfect example that I think people use is like well if you put John Wall in 1952 basketball he would score 30 points a game and be like a seven-time MVP winner like you, you bring up a good point. What makes this so challenging is that the evolution of basketball, we oftentimes associate it with more dunks, better athletes, more success with uh, shoe signings. And remember, this is back in the 60s with Russell's career where they would need to work a part-time job over the summer to make uh, enough money to, to live because of how the lack of funds in the NBA and the lack of success overall with its popularity. Now, when it comes to how people think about the NBA, I already think that's already happening and it's going to get worse as we head into 2030. And here's why. Every era prior to the merger, and even if you include that little three-year stretch before 1980, has some sort of asterisk to it. Because in the 50s, not an integrated game. The first black player isn't even in the NBA until the late, uh, the middle 50s. So you're talking like a very wildly different era. Rules were different. There was no shot clock before 1954. So like the Mikans of the world... There was an era-specific advantage to Mike in. There was an era-specific advantage to white players who dominated before the league became more integrated. You transition to the 60s. There's the uh, statistical inflation with the hyper pace. No offensive goaltending was allowed. It's why we have the famous Wilt uh, 50-25 season. That was the year Russell, I think, had the 40-rebound game in a playoff. But it, it, he had high, like, high 30s, low 40s rebounding. Oscar gets a triple-double. While Bellamy, who's like the skeleton clause of the 20,000 points club, averaged a 36 and 20 for that year. and he, Or 36 and above 20 rebounds for that year. And then you transition into 67 to 76. The ABA, NBA is kind of separated. The league's a little bit more diluted. And then the, the last couple of years before the modern NBA kicks off, you see issues with drug-related problems, with fighting in the league, with kind of like this whole hodgepodge of issues with the league's image, I already think it's been discredited. And I think that's a, a, a true problem we're going to see is like, I, 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 I'm fearing that it, it's already happening by the way you're kind of leaning towards conversation. It's not to disagree with you. I think by saying there's different players that peaked in different eras and we should recognize them as the greatest players of all time instead of ranking them, we're honestly kind of just giving up. And I think that's the problem because what, what, ma- what makes like our our – fascination as NBA historians so awesome is like we get to make the determination using facts using observations and more importantly using the uh, uh, the perspectives of their teammates their coaches and these players that needs to factor in because I'll, I'll leave it at this but the one thing that won't be on any statute is Russell's unselfishness at the end of the day his statistical accomplishments will be picked at and nitpicked at because of the era the the era's uh, ability for you to get all those rebounds on those extra shots, etc. He will be picked at for being a guy who we don't really know at the end of the day if his game could translate into 2022 because we we can't put these guys in time machines. And the, the fact that especially with a 8-10 eight, a eight team league, you only needed to win two playoff series if you were the one seed to win a title. When you factor all of that in, it's, it's really hard, but I do think to go back to your main point, I think, again, with Russell's passing, man, like it's it's just an interesting time to cover the league in, in general, especially because we, we've both said on the pod that I think the NBA now is arguably the richest in town it's been in quite a while because you just have the influx of international players, 
uh, guys being uh, recruited to basically all but go to the NBA, the NBA's G League affiliate, the uh, uh, the uh, the decline and the and the the dismissal of the uh, draft eligibility rules, so you can be freshman year in college, go right into the NBA, right out of high school, even go into the NBA. It, it, it all of it itself it makes it a challenging time to cover all these players, especially Russell, no doubt. So with Russell, one more thing that I'm going to sort of expand upon. When you think about Russell, a lot of people try to discredit his greatness because of the fact that his counting stats were nowhere close to where we even got with Elgin and Jerry West at the time, Kuzi, some of these other guys who, obviously Kuzi's on his own team, who were considered the legendary gods of just stuffing the stat sheet for Oscar as well. A lot of people try to point to the fact that if you were to take Wilt Chamberlain's absolute ability to dominate a game on both ends of the floor and just stick it onto the Boston Celtics. Are we talking about the Celtics as not only the greatest dynasty ever, but also teams with the argument for the greatest teams ever? And as we saw, obviously, in the 66-67 Philadelphia 76ers season, that team is obviously brought up among the top 10 to 15 teams of all time. And we're going to be doing another later pod when you actually rank some of these teams but how do you think that russell's career would be thought of any differently if any if you were to have swapped those two players in terms of where they happen to end up because we love doing this nba what if of all time but this is one of the greatest is if you were to have these two guys that are thought of diametrically opposed in terms of how they actually matched up when they went head-to-head, was it one player actually benefiting from just playing with a much better supporting cast? Or is it somebody thinking that this is actually the better player in terms of Russell's case versus Wilt was the all-time greatest stat stuffer? What's interesting is like one of the common myths with the NBA is that the league wasn't talented. Because you have to remember, as you expand the league you are stretching the amount of available talent of, uh, to add onto these teams. Like A perfect example to disprove any notion that the league wasn't talented is the 1960s and 70s, where as you had another league with 10 to 15 teams, the NBA and the ABA were both diluted because they were honestly shooting each other in the foot. So in the 60s, when there was only eight or so teams, every team had one to two all-NBA players. Every team had three to four all-star players. The supporting cast for both Wilt and Russell, honestly, were kind of identical. In the early part of that dynasty, you would argue that Russell Celtics were way more talented just because you had Kuzi kind of like instilling his peak of, the peak of his powers, rookie Sam Jones coming to his own. They draft Hondo later. They've got Tom Heinsohn and a bunch of other guys. Wilt yeah. also passed away over these last couple of years. Yeah, another one of those like fringe top, I would say top 75 guys just based on like the career and all that, but he gets underrated as well. And you look at Wilt's career in that second half, it's a lot better than Russell because Sam Jones is aging, Hondo's not himself, Kuzi and Heinsohn are both gone from the NBA. They're playing like Don Nelson, like crunch time minutes in like the finals in 69. Whereas Wilt had Jerry West still at the peak of his powers. Elgin, even after the, the knee injury, was still awesome and was still an all-NBA first-team guy until kind of right at the end of his career. And their, their teams are almost identical. And I think to, to quantify Wilt's success, I think people always point to that when it comes to these guys in the 60s. Like, oh, well, like Russell had this great, awesome foundation. But he was the foundation. That's the problem. And I think, like, for instance, like if we're, if we're doing, like, what was the first for Russell? Russell turned a basketball game into a horizontal game with the speed and his athleticism. 
He was the first player in NBA history where you built an actual legitimate schemed system around this guy. You can, as much as we think Mikan was the first, basketball was so de-evolutionized and not advanced yet that the, the game plan was just give the ball to Mikan two feet under the basket and let him score. But there was actually more complexity with Russell's system. He created the words defense to offense and fast breaks and hubs. And you can honestly say he was the first heliocentric player in NBA history because we oftentimes in the modern day connotate heliocentrism to Luka and Harden and these perimeter-based players. But if you're talking about who would you build your entire team around as a franchise cornerstone, both ends of the court, little holes in his game, Russell was the first and the most winning. And I think that needs to be factored in more. And it ties in something I forgot to mention earlier, but a lot of the stuff about Russell's career that was so great can't be quantified and it's not going to be on the championships he won or on the stat sheet. The unselfishness to be like one of my biggest sticking points for today's NBA is that it is so unpredictable now to pick a winner. Injuries are more likely to happen, but also the league is more talented. And every year you can argue there's like 10 to 11 teams who if you said, oh, they won the title, I wouldn't be surprised. You've, I think that gets, we use that hindsight and that lens to look back and we're like, oh, Russell had to win against the Hawks and Lakers and that was in. He, he won a title and he did that just 11 times. It's not the same because it was still challenging all those years. The league was still super competitive. It wasn't evolved, but it was still rich in talent with few teams. And those accomplishments, as well as his unselfishness, his character, like the stories of him throwing up before games like in March, like not even in the playoffs, the stories of him showing up hours before everyone. And everyone always, no, no disrespect to anyone, but always, everyone always thinks of Kobe and MJ and these perimeter players as oh, these were the first guys, but Russell was doing that 30 years before and four years before all of those guys. And I think it's another interesting thing about Russell, the positional disadvantage he has when evaluating his career. Because we know in, in the modern NBA, uh, centers who are limited on one end of the court or the other are our, most, are our least valuable position probably in the NBA right now. And you think about how important it was to have a center in the 60s because the entire system was built around, you need a defensive hub or someone you could just give the ball to. There was no three-point line. There was minimal spacing, so you needed to have that sort of hub to turn defense into offense. Russell, the best way to describe him was he was revolutionary. If you don't have Russell, there is no Kareem or Walton. There is no, uh, there is no Luka. There is no LeBron. There is no MJ because you needed him to be the first, especially because we can tie this into, I think, the character part of Russell's career. Growing up in the NBA and kind of playing uh, before the civil rights movement in the mid-60s, uh, in the JFK era of we are just starting to recognize how minimalized and how marginalized the black community was in America. And Russell's relationship with Boston, the city of Boston in particular, was a mainstay in his career when he famously like didn't want to be at the uh, the ceremony to retire his jersey because he was still pissed at Boston. All that sort of stuff. That needs to be factored in too. Like Russell not only achieved this, but it was an era where lynchings were still common, where you had all these segregationist uh, candidates winning offices, including making runs at the presidency, that, that needs to be factored in too. And I think that oftentimes always gets overlooked because nobody wants to bring politics into sports, but politics and sports are arguably one-on-one, especially when you're looking at the NBA in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, and before that. I just want to close this conversation by reading some of the quotes that display how much people actually respected his game. And these are quotes that are pouring in from all sorts of different NBA legends, current players, 
former commissioners, and just anybody who's been around the game of basketball. Let's start with Adam Silver's quote. Quote, Bill stood for something much bigger than sports, the values of equality, respect, and inclusion that he stamped into the DNA of our league. At the height of his athletic career, Bill advocated vigorously for civil rights and social justice, a legacy he passed down to generations of NBA players who followed in his footsteps. Through the taunts, threats, and unthinkable adversity, Bill rose above it all and remained true to his belief that everyone deserves to be treated with dignity. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Bill Russell was the quintessential big man, as you alluded to, not because of his height, but because of the size of his heart. In basketball, he showed us how to play with grace and passion. In life, he showed us how to live with compassion and joy. He was my friend, my mentor, my role model. Rest in peace to my deepest friend. To be the greatest champion in your sport, to revolutionize the way the game is played, and to be a societal leader all at once seems unthinkable. But that is who Bill Russell was. All of these quotes are pouring in from a bunch of different people who, even if they weren't able to show it during his actual life, it shows just how much this guy had an impact on not only the Boston Celtics organization, but the entire league. And people, I think, often forget the fact that while Russell was still playing, he was being tormented not only by visiting team fans when obviously Boston would go on the road, but even Boston Celtics fans who are notoriously known as being some of the most controversial in the NBA throughout history. This was a guy who repeatedly would have his own house and belongings, many of which very valuable to him and his family, would be ransacked as well as the fact that his family would hear death threats almost on the daily regardless of where they went i have the most utmost respect for bill russell and everything that he stood for and it's obviously very unfortunate uh, for his passing but this has honestly been one of the more heartening conversations we've had about any nba player and former star because Everything that he stood for on the court was only exacerbated and also feels like it's a disservice because you can talk about the greatness of him as a person without even mentioning the fact that he's the greatest winner in American team sports history. The one thing I will conclude on is I think Bill Russell, with his passing, people, I would argue too late, are recognizing the importance and how valuable Bill Russell was as a person, as a basketball player. I hope for society's sake but also for the way we look at the nba and the way that we evaluate the careers of these legends that bill russell isn't just another name on the nba's 100th anniversary team like i hope we can truly at the end of the day evaluate this his career properly as a guaranteed top five guy of all time a man with an extreme passion for basketball but even a bigger heart and somebody who revolutionized basketball into what it was today and the other final concluding note i can have is like before we start arguing for how awesome MJ was and LeBron was and even Kobe and Duncan and Shaq and all those guys, they would not have the success they had without the pioneering and without the treacherous journey that Bill Russell, along with the other greats like Oscar Robertson, Wilt, Elgin Baylor, had to do and had to sacrifice in order 
to get to where the NBA was today. Micah, it is an emotional day for the NBA, but it was awesome to cover and look back at the awesome legacy of Bill Russell's career. Thank you for joining the pod. Absolutely.